As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, welcome back to Killer Queens. I'm Torella. I'm Tori. And this is part two of the SOA murders. So if you did not listen to part one, go back, do that. And then we'll pick up here where we left off last time. Quick reminder, if you need more content, you can always check out our Patreon. There's like over 80 episodes ready for the binging. If you just need, you know, more stuff, it's there. Yes. All right. So let's jump right into it. So last time we left off with Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr getting arrested ASAP. Mm-hmm. They were able to link Ian forensically to items that the girls had been wearing the day they went missing. So we're picking back up there. 25-year-old Maxine Carr quickly changed her tune about the alibi that she'd provided for Ian. So remember, she said he was home with me all day. He couldn't have done it. She admitted that she had lied about that. And in fact, she was in Grimsby that day. So she wasn't even there. <laughs> nice, Maxine. Yeah, big difference. Uh, Ian Huntley was charged with murder and abduction, and Maxine Carr was charged with murder initially. But as we know, a murder conviction without a body is nearly impossible to prove. Fortunately, and we say fortunately for like the case as it moves forward, not fortunately in the grand scheme of things, Later that same day, burnt human remains were found in a ditch in the woods near Lake and Heath Air Base, about 40 miles from where the girls had disappeared. Experts came out to inspect the scene and determined that the remains did belong to two young girls. While they were looking for more clues at the scene, they found items that confirmed that these bodies belonged to Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. They found a pocket from the tracksuit pants as well as a piece of the logo from the shirts they had worn and a piece of jewelry. So again, wow. like we said, those shirts were definitive. Like the fibers from it were very unique. 
The police said that the remains were badly damaged because of this. They called in a botanical ecologist named Professor Patricia Wiltshire. I guess that's how you say it. I would have said Wiltshire, but... She was there to help them determine where along the path the murderer had entered the ditch. This was how they were going to narrow down their search area among the huge plot of land where the girls were found. Professor Wiltshire explained that Lake and Heath Air Base is near Breckland Sound, so the ground can get very, very wet. In order to combat this, farmers will use shells they dump on the ground to firm it up. At a certain point near the sound, the shells stop. Holly and Jessica's bodies were found just beyond where the shells stopped. Professor Wiltshire also explained that the nettles had been damaged in this one area and were growing in an attempt to correct the breakage. In this area, they found Jessica's hair on twigs. Finally, she was able to determine that the burnt clothing they found in the trash actually had the same vegetation clinging to it, proving that the girls had been dressed when they had been put in the ditch and then their clothes were removed. This feels like a much more scientific way of determining an entry point than who killed little Gregory, where they were like, looks like it could have been over here, or it could have been right over there. I like this spot better. Yeah, let's just throw a dummy in and see what happens. Yeah, this is like, they actually did science about it. I mean, that was the 80s, but still. (laughs) Right. Adding to this, Ian Huntley's home had been extensively cleaned, so much so that when Huntley had been interviewed earlier, people had smelled a strong odor of cleaning product. How many times have we heard that? But then, like, their defense is always like, well, of course you could smell bleach from three miles away. He was cleaning his bathroom. Everybody cleans their bathroom. It's like, well, yeah, but... You usually don't douse it in bleach, though. You know, like... right. There's usually, like, there's a regular odor. I don't know. I mean, I get that that's kind of a, could go either way because a lot of people clean with bleach on a normal basis, but yeah. The forensic team got the vacuum from the house that contained the fibers from the girls' shirts. They were able to find fibers from the girls' clothing all over the Huntley car house. Huntley had even gone so far as to change his tires on his car after he detailed the car. So Professor Wiltshire is like, you dumb bitch. The frame of the car, also as everybody knows is the chassis, will pick up that soil too. It doesn't just get on the tires. Like, it's everywhere. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows exactly how a chassis works. Not me. Not me. Despite all of this, there was no DNA that put Holly and Jessica in the house. Their clothes, yes, but not their actual person. But it's the clothes they were wearing the day that they went missing. So how else do you explain? Right. I mean, (laughs) okay. The prosecution moved forward with the trial, and on April 16th, 2003, Ian Huntley pleaded not guilty, and a trial was set for November 3rd. Maxine Carr was eventually charged with perverting the course of justice and assisting an offender. About a month before his trial was to start, Huntley decided to admit that, yes, the girls had been in his house. He said they did die while they were in his house, and he took them to the ditch, but he didn't admit to how and why they had been murdered. 
On November the 25th, Ian Huntley decided to tell his story about what happened. This is laughable. Like, I cannot even... I literally laughed out loud, not because I'm a heartless, insensitive... um, Bitch. Cold-hearted bitch. Not that... uh, That's not why. No, I'm not saying that. The fact that Ian... The words came out of his mouth and he was like, they'll believe this. Yeah. This will work. Yeah. Is, yeah, laughable. And it just goes to show, like, how stupid he thinks everybody around him is. Right. And that people are just going to guzzle up his lies like a bowl full of Fruit Loops. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who doesn't guzz- like Fruit Loops? I'd guzzle them up all day long. Exactly. <laughs> I just strike that from the record. I don't know why. Yeah. Why? Okay. Why? Yeah. Ian says, Holly got a nosebleed while she was at the house. And in his attempt to help her, he accidentally knocked her into the bathtub. She fell right over. She dies immediately. Not He didn't do anything, though. It's just that she fell into the bathtub while she's having a nosebleed and she died. Okay. But then the other, the other person still has to die, too. Totally accidentally. So, Holly... A freak nosebleed accident gone wrong. Now Jessica, he says, he called her the second girl, was screaming. So Ian covered her mouth with his hand so people wouldn't hear her. And he accidentally smothered her while they're both just standing up. And he's behind her just covering her mouth up, I guess. It could happen. I mean, you can accidentally kill two people in the same day completely differently. Well, he didn't kill Holly, I guess. Like, everybody's heard of that old saying where you get a nosebleed and then you die. So, yeah, 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 because often when you get nosebleeds and somebody tries to like hand you a tissue, they so forcefully give you the tissue that you then fall backwards to your death. I think the most effective way to give anybody a tissue is to body check them straight into a bathtub. Well, that way you know they got it. <laughs> exactly. You know? Did you yes. get it? Did you not get it? Now we don't even have to ask that question. So <laughs> he later changed the story saying that Jessica started screaming, you pushed her, you pushed her. And then he realized he couldn't leave her alive. Hmm. Okay, Dan. Okay, Dan. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. The prosecution proposed that Huntley and Carr had maybe had a very heated argument on the phone, and then Huntley saw the girls. They asked about Ms. Carr while he was out washing his car, and he invited them in, telling them Maxine was inside. Once inside, Huntley killed Holly and then killed Jessica before she could make a call to her mom on her cell phone. Jessica's phone had been switched off at 6.46 p.m., so detectives surmised that the girls were dead before that time. Carr disposed of the phone in a supermarket trash can right after the police came by when they were going door-to-door right after the girls disappeared. It's just so, like, it's, it's, it's almost like if you think of them, like, it's not comical in any way, but what I'm saying is it's so ridiculous that, like, it's like the police are coming to the front door and they're going out the back door with something. You know what I mean? It's like they're passing mm-hmm. each other in exact timing. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Huntley also stated that he called Maxine Carr after he killed the girls and told her what happened. He claimed that he told her he was going to confess, but that she was afraid she would lose her job and told him not to. However, it's unknown whether this was the truth or some other creation by Huntley's brain. Like, I mean, what, what are you going to believe at that point? I mean, Maxine did help him cover stuff up. Right, and... Neither one of them are incredibly credible at this point. Right, yeah. On December 3rd, 2003, Maxine Carr testified against Ian Huntley. She testified she had lied about the alibi she provided, and she would have never lied if she had known what he had really done. What did she think he did? Right. The girls are missing. He's the last one who saw them alive. You got rid of their phone. Nobody's seen them again. Where your boyfriend has been this entire time. Yeah. What do you think happened? And he's been violent to damn near everybody, including Maxine, multiple occasions. Like, you know what he could be capable of. Yeah. Yeah. And she's also fully aware of all of these rape accusations that have followed him around for a lot of the different places. And he actually changed his name at some point. His in last between name. moves, yeah, his last name. And then he went back to Huntley, but he's just trying to evade all of these things. And all of the, from what I understand, the rape accusations from the previous places were all young girls. He had, mm-hmm. he definitely was a pedophile. He oh, yeah. He liked, I think he liked anybody who was going to be naive enough for him, but his, his strongest sexual attraction was not to women. It was to young girls. I'm upset. Yeah. The jury deliberated for all of 18 hours, and on December the 17th, 2003, Ian Huntley was found guilty of murder and given two life sentences. However, there was one juror who believed he was innocent, but majority rules, so guilty one. I was really surprised about that. I was like, who the fuck was the one juror that can see all of that evidence and give a not guilty verdict? I would love to talk to that person and just pick their brain. Like, 
explain this to me. What about any of that evidence leads you to believe anything other than Ian Huntley killed these two girls? Exactly. His DNA is all over their clothing that they were wearing that night, and it was dumped at his work. He's the last person to see them alive. He has a history of violence and rape. I don't know. It, the all of the pieces soil are there. from where their bodies were found, that particular vegetation and soil was found on the undercarriage of his car. And he mm-hmm. changed his tires. Why? Bleach the hell. And he confessed to them being like alive and then dying in his house. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. even if he wasn't truthful about how it happened or what happened, he gave you enough to be like, okay. Yeah, I, mean, he, I just do not understand. Yeah, his own words, like they found fibers of their clothing in the house and his words put their bodies in the house. Like their, exactly. their person. Like it's not like, it, it's not like his defense was like, well, I found the shirt on the side of the road and brought it in or whatever. Like, you know, yeah, their clothes are in my house, but they were never in the house. Like he puts them there wearing exactly. the clothing. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. In September of 2005, it was recommended that he serve a minimum of 40 years before he be considered for parole. I don't like that he would be considered for parole ever. If I'm being honest. Mm-mm. Well, because he's he was relatively young when he was arrested. So he could very easily leave prison alive, you know? Yeah. And a 60-something-year-old man, if you've taken good care of yourself, can still do lots of stuff. Still be very active. Even, yeah, even if you're in, like, mediocre health. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And... Pedophilia doesn't just go away. Like, you need to have, I don't know what kind of treatment they've got, you know, going on. There's punishment and then there's treatment. And I definitely think there needs to be punishment there. But if you, if you're looking at any possibility of parole, there needs to be heavy on the treatment side. Like, yeah. And I don't know if it's extensive something. Yeah. I don't know if it's something that can even be treated necessarily, but that, that scares me. I don't think he needs 
to be out on parole at all. I mean, there's no guarantee it would get granted, but it could. Like, that's just the possibility. It's too much. Yeah. Because if he goes in and is just being punished and held there, who's to say he doesn't come out still being attracted to 10-year-old girls? Exactly. Mm. I don't know. He is currently being held in HMP Franklin in Durham. He's got neighbors like the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, to keep him company. That's sweet. Maxine Carr was found guilty of assisting an offender, and in May of 2004, she was sentenced to three and a half years, but she only served part of it. When Maxine was released from prison, she was given a new identity. According to Cosmo, Carr also won an injunction in 2005 that will keep her identity anonymous forever. However, in 2011, The Sun reported that she had given birth to a baby boy. If she's supposed to be anonymous, how did they know that? Yeah. Fortunately, (laughs) her injunction applies to his identity as well, and he'll never be named or know anything about Maxine Carr before she became his mom. So she won't, he won't grow up and be like, oh my gosh, that was my mom. Although unless he sees pictures of her or something, but. Or if she tells him, but I mean, I don't know. Yeah, she probably wouldn't, I guess. Ian Huntley was said to be very secretive, and to this day, he hasn't said why he killed Holly and Jessica, and Marissa Gibb, the neighbor from before they moved, doesn't think he ever will. That kind of stuff, and it's a tale as old as time. It's not unheard of. It happens. It makes me so angry because I'm like, okay, you are a terrible person. You have done all these things wrong. Okay, just do one thing right. Like, just just one thing. Give us something. And they can yeah, do give it. give somebody some kind of a closure because I think what probably happened is he saw them walking. They recognized him and felt maybe comfortable enough to talk to him. And it was like an opportunity kind of thing for him. And then once you do anything and they know who you are, you know that you've got witnesses and you know that you've got somebody who's going to tell on you. Yeah, you can't attack them or attempt rape or rape and leave witnesses, right? I mean, like, there's a good chance that they're going to tell and it's a loose end that you can't can't afford to have, I guess. Right, yeah. I think that that's... I don't know. I don't think that there was necessarily any reason for him. It wasn't this, like, big thing, but I think he had been, he'd been accused of rape so many times before, and he'd outrun that successfully for a while, but I think he probably knew that wasn't going to be able to, he wasn't going to be able to always outrun it, and these girls knew him, and they knew Maxine, so they would have a really good way of identifying him, and I think that once he decided he was going to, and I don't know, they're I don't know that they were able to find any evidence of whether or not he raped them because of the... How the, decomposed their bodies were. Yeah, and the fact that they had been trying to be burned. But I think that that was the impetus for it, that he decided he was going to rape them, but they knew him too well and could identify him, and his, so he just didn't want to leave a loose end. Yeah, which is a, you know, there there is no reason, you know? It just... It's awful. Mm-hmm. In February of 2018, some recordings were released where Huntley is recorded saying, 
What I will say is that I am so terribly, terribly sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for what I've done. Sorry for the pain I've caused to the families and friends of Holly and Jessica. For the pain I've caused my family and friends. And for the pain I have accused the community of, for the pain I've caused the community of Soham. Soham. Damn it. I knew you were going to do it. (laughs) I knew it. Man. Take the girl out of the country, but can't take the country out of the girl. (laughs) Exactly. I can't change anything. I cannot remove that day from history, what I've done. I know these girls will be 26 this year with families of their own, jobs, and lives. I thought about them when they were turning 21 and when they were turning 18. I hope you thought about them every day. I accepted a long time ago my life was in jail. I will never apply to leave prison, never apply for my parole. I will die in prison. I accept that. I don't believe I should be free. Not because I believe I'm a danger, but because two young girls are dead and I do not deserve to be released. So I have trouble with the fact that he claims that he's accepted responsibility, but then he also in the same breath is like, but I'm not a danger. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Have you accepted the entire thing or are you just saying the words that you think people want to hear? Because it doesn't sound like you're taking responsibility for what you've done. No, and I would like to see because he says here, I will never ever apply for parole. I don't believe that. And if I hope he proves me wrong. I hope that he never does apply for parole. But I feel like 30 years down the road, that's going to change. Yeah. He's going to apply. And he's saying this right now. He's lining it up to look like a changed man. I mean, he's a he's a textbook narcissist. Like, mm-hmm. he is a violent person. What he has done over and over and over is just take advantage of people. Mm-hmm. So why should we believe that this is anything other than a ploy? Like, I hope that he means all of this, but I, I just don't believe it. I, well, I no. And when you were saying about how he thought about the girls on their 18th birthday and when they were supposed to turn 21. And you were like, I hope he does. I hope that he does, but in the way that he should be thinking about them. Like, I'm so sorry for what I've done and not trying to relive that situation. Yeah, Yeah. but it's like, he's like, well, you know, I I made sure to, I thought about them when they turned 21 and when they would have been turning 18. It's like, they should be haunting your dreams and memories every single fucking day. Like, not just, oh, it's, you know, would have been their birthday today. Like, yeah, an know. anniversary of something that would pertain to them. No, you need to be thinking about them. And I don't know. <laughs> there needs to be some sort of spiritual, moral, I don't know, <laughs> like some sort of repercussion there. Like, you know. Well, that's what you, I mean. You, you hear like it. families of victims all the time be like, I hope you think about that person every day. I hope that person is on your mind all the time and you're haunted by what you've done because you took that person away from us for it. No matter what your reason was, it's selfish. You mm-hmm. played God. You decided to choose when this person was to leave this world. Look at everybody else that you've hurt because of that. I hope that it haunts you. I hope it does. Mm-hmm. Like, you hear that all the time. And that's like Kim saying, I thought about them when they turned 18 and 21. It just immediately makes me want to be like, I just that, you know, I hope you think about them all the time. And I hope it makes it hard for you to think about anything else. And maybe that's not a nice way to be, but 
I'm sorry. I don't like him. Well, yeah. I mean, he's a less than... No, he sucks. He just sucks. I don't... Mm-mm. Super sucks. Yeah. I think you're fine. Yeah, he super, super sucks. Jessica's parents, Sharon and Les Chapman, have kept a low profile, but they did speak out about the Police National Database that is a program that attempts to keep all police forces in one big loop to keep information available. So they didn't have this in the UK until after prior this to this. Case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the lawmakers that got it into place were like, you know, I was really surprised to find out that there was no way for the police police stations in each individual area to share intelligence and to keep up with things and all that kind of stuff. And um, I don't know, I guess to me, just growing up on like cold case files and forensic files and all that, I'm like, you didn't have a database? Like, you know, that's a thing, but they didn't. And one of the things that got put into place after this was a national database. So... Jessica's parents said they hope the program will help keep other families from going through what they have had to because Ian Huntley's prior offenses did not carry over when he left Grimsby. So all those things that he had been accused of or anything that he had gotten in trouble for, nobody knew about it. And then the school that he was working for, just Big Fat didn't check his references. Like, he listed stuff on paper and then they were like, all right, looks good to me all right, we'll just let you have this job. And, um, you know, they didn't do their due diligence of calling to verify things because if they had, they would have found out that he had prior offenses. He'd gotten in trouble everywhere that he went. Like, there should be some cross-checking and cross-referencing and, like, you should have to jump through some hoops to be able to work around children or work with children, you know? Like, you can't just let anybody walk in off the street because in this case, for instance, there are people that are like this that won't be honest and truthful or can be whoever they want you to see to your face and then have these ulterior sinister motives and you just never know. Yeah. And I saw in that documentary, you know, at the end, they were talking about... um, the implications of, or the repercussions of having this police national database. And I think when they put it into place, the government side was a little, what they were saying was a little too heavy on being responsible for making sure that people who have prior offenses and stuff like that are not allowed to work with children. And there was one guy talking about it saying, you can't put it all on the government. Like, You can't put it all on just one person. And he was like, you know, because he's talking about privacy issues. And he's saying that like, if if all of your offenses go into a national database, anytime you try to apply for a job, stuff from your past or maybe teeny little things, or maybe when you were like a teenager or whatever, like stuff would follow you around and all this kind of stuff. And it would make it harder for you to get a job. And he's saying, you know, it really needs to be the person who's hiring. And so they need to be like looking at you and talking to you and getting their feeling. How do they feel? Do they feel like you're trustworthy? Do they feel like this? And then the database should be a last resort because you can't just, if everybody just runs to that first, everybody who's ever made a mistake is going to be out of a job. And I'm like, okay, what about narcissists and psychopaths and sociopaths? There are plenty of those around. Not all of them are murderers, but... Obviously, the people who hired Ian Huntley 
felt fine about him because they didn't think that there were any red flags when they were talking to him. And even when he did the news interview, they were talking about it and they were like, he seemed credible. He seemed like he was telling the truth. He was looking at the camera when he was answering. He wasn't nervous. He didn't seem, you know, he didn't have any of those cues that he was lying because he doesn't have emotion about lying. Like, that doesn't bother him. So you can't just rely on an employer's gut feeling or whatever. So the way that I feel is there should be the database. You should be able to look at it to for certain careers or roles, right? Because there are certain careers and certain jobs that that would matter. And maybe there needs to be a statute of limitations on it. Okay, well, this happened 20 years ago. We need to expunge that or something, but not for violent crimes. Like, I'm sorry, because what we've seen through doing cases like this, what we've seen through just research that people have done is with violent crimes like this, they don't usually cool off. They only ramp up. So it's it's these like slipping through the cracks situations where it's like, oh, that could have been, that could have been, what's the word? I can't even think of the word. Prevented? Yes. It could have <laughs> been prevented had we known this, but nobody either took him seriously or didn't uh, take the time to input the data or didn't want to, you know, didn't want to have yeah. extra paperwork or whatever. And yeah. I don't think that that's an excuse. Like, oh, I mean, I don't think that there are certain things like I never thought I would live in a world where you lost a job or got fired from a job because of something that you posted on the internet because I grew up, we grew up in a time where the internet was coming out and it wasn't, social media wasn't a big thing, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody attempting to rape multiple women, not even women, young girls. Mm -hmm. And then he went on to murder young girls. So it's like, yeah. (laughs) And from what I understand, like, I don't know that allegations would go into that database because an allegation is not a conviction. But if you're convicted of rape, especially any amount of times, but especially multiple times, Mm -hmm. and those victims are all underage, yeah, that person should not be working, really shouldn't be in the public, but shouldn't be working with children, shouldn't be around children. I mean, that's, that's why there's the sex offender registry here, like, uh, and and they were also saying that, like, the people who are doing the employment, you know, the hiring need to do smart recruiting and they need to do background checks and check references and all that kind of stuff. That Absolutely. should be the same information that would show up. Like, a reference check might give you a, I guess, a could say, well, people suspected, you know, this, depending on how much the person's going to say. But when you do a background check, you're going to find out. Like here, in anything having to do with children and medical, you have to do a background check. It's illegal not to. So, and you have to have proof of it. Like every time I hired somebody at the cosmetic surgery offices that I worked at, I had to I had to timestamp everything, make sure that all of my background checks and all that were in there, um, verify licensures and all that kind of stuff too. But I had to make sure that background check was in there and it had to be before the start date of the person. Like, if I got that backwards, we could get in a lot of trouble, especially if somebody does something they're not supposed to do. Like, you're supposed to you're supposed to be taking your job seriously and doing what you need to do and check what you need to check. 
but there's got to be somewhere for that information to come from. If I do a background check and they're not putting shit in the database, then what the fuck am I going to come up with? Like, exactly. You can only do so much. And I think that that whole, like, if it's a question of liberties, like if you're taking away somebody's liberties and like, oh, well, they shouldn't take that into account because they need to work too. Well, there are plenty of other jobs that you might not have to have that for. And I'm not not trying to be cold and calloused about it, but it's like you, there's certain positions, certain careers, certain jobs that you know what you're getting yourself into when you go into it. And so, yeah, maybe don't do the crime if you don't want to have the punishment. And if if you're going to, if you cannot help yourself and you have to rape somebody, whatever, I don't, there's no reason for it, but if that absolutely has to happen, then you shouldn't be able to work with children. You should not be able to work in a medical you know, like in medical, like it's just, I just don't think that that's crazy. I'm not, I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if you have a prior conviction of something like exposing yourself in public or, you know, anything tied to like pedophile type tendencies or whatever, if that is like, wow, that's so far in my past, I've totally changed. I'm a new person. Like, I hope all that's true, but you still don't need the temptation of working in a school. Mm-hmm. You don't need, like, if that if that tendency or that possibility is even there, then you don't need, you just don't need the temptation. Like, even if you've done your time for it and whatever, what, if you are truly over that thing, that desire or whatever it is, tendency— then don't you think you'd want to put yourself as far away from that population as possible? Like, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to put myself in that position. Like, yeah, I feel strong. But it's the same thing as like a drug addict who's overcome that or an alcoholic or whatever. They're not going to willingly, they're not going to go get a job at a bar probably. They're not going to put themselves in a situation where they're around this type of drug all the time and be like, well, I'm strong. I'm stronger now, but I'm not, you know, I know I'm not going to mess up or whatever. Like you just, you, it's so not wise to do that. So yeah, find another job. Like, yeah, it's a smart choice. I feel like it's safe, safer for everybody. Like keeps exactly. you out of trouble. It keeps the kids safe or whoever's safe. It's just a better situation all the way around. I don't know. I, I don't see a problem with it. And I, I don't want to be the person who controls the rules for everybody or like tells everybody what they can and can't do because I don't think that that's fair. But in this case, I do think that that's fair. Like, okay, pick anything else. Let's not do that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciate that there is a sex offender registry. Mm -hmm. I like to be able to know in my area where sex offenders live, registered sex offenders live. Like, I don't know. I just, I think that there there are things that people should, I mean, there's just so many people now. Neighborhoods are not like everybody knows everybody. It's not Mayberry. So you need to be able to know who's around you. And not know everything about them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think that, um, and especially for police stations to be able to get information across county lines. How many serial killers have gone unnoticed or unrecognized just because they're taking, or even body is not identified and all that, just because they killed this person here and then dumped them over here across county lines, city lines, state lines, whatever it is. Like, 
we need to be able to get that information out. So yeah, I, I agree. Holly's parents, Kevin and Nicola Wells, have kind of beat the odds and stayed together through this. Situations like this can often become a source of such friction that a couple doesn't make their relationship work anymore. In the Cosmo article, Kevin Wells was quoted saying, Losing Holly was excruciating, but I've yet to see anything to persuade me that the mother's loss, Nicola's, is not the greater. They say 95% of parents of murdered children split up. We were determined to be among the 5% who survive. But for a year, perhaps 18 months, I couldn't reach my wife. Eventually, hard work and routine turned us around. Nicola found her joie de vivre, and the woman I fell in love with returned to me. Slowly but surely, we came back together as a couple, thank goodness. He also said, Time doesn't heal. Someone got that wrong. It anesthetizes. Grief does not diminish, but you can manage the intensity and learn to live with it. Murder has the capacity to destroy more lives than the one taken. I recognized that from the start, so I tried to take control to make plans and to exert positive thought. Oh, that makes me want to cry. I know. That's amazing that, and I'm sure a lot of time and a lot of inflection and just experience has brought them to this point, but it's just, it's really, really, really amazing that they were able to overcome I don't even know if you can say overcome, that they're able to cope with it and stay together in the process. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, you just, you have to just keep pushing, keep pushing and cope. Like you said, that's really sad. That's really the only word you can use. Man, that's a sad one. (sighs) Yeah. Well, thanks for listening and watching. And we will catch you on the next episode. Yep. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.